This episode of the MedTalk podcast is brought to you by European Pharmaceutical Manufacturer, a publication covering the entire supply chain of pharmaceutical manufacturing. Subscribe now at epmmagazine.com. Hello, and welcome to the MedTalk podcast, a show bringing you the latest news across life sciences. I'm your host, Rhys Armstrong, the editor of European Pharmaceutical Manufacturer. The COVID-19 pandemic has brought into focus more than ever how medicines are manufactured across the world. We've seen countries stockpile vaccines and shortages occur because of critical components only being produced in a limited number of countries. Last November, the European Commission published the European Pharmaceutical Strategy, a report which covers the regulatory framework needed in order for Europe to have a sustainable medicine supply chain, and one which directly benefits the needs of patients. On this episode, I speak to Richard Daniel, Head of Commercial at TV Europe, about the report and what the future of medicines manufacturing really looks like in Europe. Right, so Richard, thank you very much for taking your time to speak to me today. Uh, just to start off, could you please introduce yourself and TV, please? Yeah, hi, Rhys. So as part of Teva Pharmaceuticals Global Executive Management Team, I look after Teva's business in Europe across uh, all of our uh, lines of business, our innovative medicines, our generic medicines, and our over-the-counter medicines. And look, I'm really, really passionate about the transformative impact uh, that broad and unconstrained access to high-quality medicines uh, can have for patients and our wider society. I'm also pretty keen on health innovation powered by digital transformation within our within our industry. And we in Europe, we're headquartered in the Netherlands and Amsterdam, and we have almost 20,000 people across uh, 36 countries. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And you, you got in touch to discuss the European Commission's new pharmaceutical strategy for Europe and how it is strengthening a future-proof regulatory framework um, for the production of medicines and technologies that can reach patients. Um, And also it discusses um, the development surrounding medicines uh, in rare diseases and antibiotic resistance, and also the impact that COVID-19 has had on the industry. Just to start off, I suppose, could you, um, just what do you know about the European pharmaceutical strategy and what are your main sort of takeaways from it? Sure. So first of all, reliable and sustainable access to medicines really sits at the heart of Europe's health agenda, unsurprisingly, and every patient should be able to be confident that when they need the medicine, that it'll be available for them. And so I think the strategy is a positive first step towards addressing vulnerabilities that are risking Europe's ability to be able to supply medicines. And positively, and probably for the first time, I see a European strategy that recognises the complexity and value of uh, making sure the entire supply chain uh, is secure from production and all of its phases right through the distribution to patients. For too long, we've had some quite inflexible, old school regulation and rigid frameworks in Europe, which can be problematic. And we've also got unsustainable market conditions for generic medicines in many countries. For example, the German tendering system, uh, which is very, very tricky. And this is driving industry uh, supply consolidation outside Europe. So it could be and should be an opportunity to look at the root causes that drive investments out of Europe. Uh, Of course, reversing the 
that trend that's happened over quite a number of years is going to require an open and candid conversation about how we value essential medicines and their production in Europe. So we need to look at the value that having a sustainable pharmaceutical manufacturing network and footprint in Europe brings in shorter, more diverse and thus more resilient supply chains while supporting the economies in Europe with skilled uh, jobs as well. And we also need to address the notion that a medicine's value is determined purely by its price rather than the positive impact that has and uh, can have, does have on patients' lives. Uh, how a medicine can lower costs across healthcare systems, for example, by keeping patients out of hospital. And of course, the productivity gains by making sure that patients are hopefully well enough to play a full role uh, in, in society. We also know the regulatory system in Europe is in dire need of modernization. So I welcome the opportunity that the publication of the strategy provides to have a discussion on how to build a modern digitalized environment that will support economic and environmental sustainability, as well as providing the opportunity for a, a frank discussion on the need to design much smarter and innovative uh, procurement procedures for, uh, for, for medicines. So to this end, the high level stakeholder forum structured dialogue that is referred to in the strategy is critical for policymakers to gain a much better understanding of the operation of global supply chains so that we can address together the root causes and vulnerabilities of um, over-concentrated supply. Brilliant, thank you. A key part of the strategy looks at the importance of collaboration between government, academia and industry. What part can medicine manufacturers play in helping to guide regulation for medicines and the industry overall, you know, the, the adoption of new technologies? Yeah, and this is a really uh, important part. You know, to shape the right regulation for the industry, it is really vital that we have constant dialogue between all parties in order for us to build a framework under which we can ensure that we have resilient manufacturing supply of safe and effective medicines for all patients in Europe. This is one of the reasons why uh, we at Teva have consistently called for the high level forum. And we see it now in this, uh, in this strategy, stakeholder structured dialogue and manufacturing and security of supply, because it is vital for policymakers to gain a much better understanding of the operations of uh, global pharmaceutical supply chains and for us to work together to make them better and stronger. So the published strategy appears reasonably holistic uh, and covers the whole ecosystem, and that's something we appreciate. So positively, and for the first time, I believe the Commission recognises the complexity and value of improving the entire supply chain for medicines, from production the whole way through to distribution to patients. And we're just really looking forward to having a seat at the table and hopefully to be listened to. Of course. And advancements in pharmaceutical manufacturing, um, they can take a long time to be implemented across procedures and, and in factories and the, and the shop floor and stuff like that. Um, do you think in part of that is because of the strict regulatory burdens um, of the industry compared to, say, um, the food sector or automotives? Yeah, our industry is one of the most heavily regulated in the world. And actually, it's right that it is. Uh, you know, we have extraordinarily high standards for efficacy, uh, safety, uh, and and quality. And so inspection, quality assurance, and good manufacturing steps are all uh, absolutely uh, required to make sure that um, 
uh, medicines, as I said, are safe and effective and work uh, for patients. Uh, these require investments, of course. But that doesn't mean that innovation is slow. Let's not forget that we innovate in R&D and manufacturing all of the time. You know, producing humanized monoclonal antibodies requires quite, quite state-of-the-art facilities. Uh, and uh, there's incredible work that's gone on in our industry to develop, uh, get approved, and, uh, and scale manufacturing for COVID-19 vaccines as well. Mm -hmm. Of course, we can always improve. Right, and the increased use of automation, uh, I don't know, process step sensors, data gathering throughout manufacturing, uh, perhaps the use of art artificial intelligence, such as we've seen in the automotive or food uh, industries, can only enhance our good manufacturing uh, practices. Uh, but as you point out, we do need to be able to bring our regulators along with that uh, as well. And that is one of the challenges still in pharma. Uh, our, our regulators are not particularly as yet digitally savvy, savvy, and that, that could do with changing. Yeah, and it, it's interesting because a lot of these technologies, like continuous manufacturing and automation, um, have been used in, in other industries for some time. Do, do you think pharmaceutical manufacturers are put off a little bit by you know, changing their, their systems because of how much paperwork is involved and the potential high costs of it? Right. And there are examples of continuous manufacturing uh, in pharma uh, as well, but particularly for innovative medicines uh, or for complex to manufacture uh, medicines, this is a little more difficult. Uh, and this is where we do run into uh, problems sometimes with the regulators about not being able to have the right dialogue to be able to make uh, these changes. Look, as I said before, one of the most important things, uh, or the most important thing is the safety uh, and efficacy of our medicines, uh, of course, but that shouldn't get in the way of us being able to innovate uh, and to be able to bring in, you know, great good manufacturing processes that, that can improve the efficiency uh, as well. And again, that's why the dialogue with uh, regulators as we go forward is so critically important. Yeah. Um one thing you mentioned earlier was um, about, about medicines being fairly priced and why this shouldn't be a, a barrier to patient access. Two areas where this is, where this is big um, is obviously antimicrobial resistance and, and rare diseases. Do you think there should be further incentives by, by government or you know, um, different systems within the industry? So pharmaceutical manufacturers and, and you know, the, the big pharma companies are incentivized to develop therapies in, the, in these areas? Sure. And look, it's not an area of medicine in which we operate, so I'm not uh, absolutely expert uh, in it. However, I would argue the most important factor to consider uh, as with a number of the challenges we face in the pharmaceutical industry is to ensure that we have uh, the right framework and tangible incentives in, uh, in place to encourage collaboration and partnership uh, across the industry around the world. In this particular case, I believe that uh, public-private partnerships are crucial, um, uh, where the return on investment in R&D is lower uh, for these for these areas, of course. And the best solutions are found when we have constant dialogue between industry and and government. And we absolutely need to work together on the problem of antimicrobial resistance. Uh, and we at Teva are committed to tackling it, including our work on reducing pharmaceuticals in the environment 
and supporting education on best prescribing practices for the use of antibiotics, because that in itself can make a real difference. Yeah, and I, I suppose just on the equitable distribution of, of medicines, um, I think COVID-19 has, has brought a lot of conversation into this area. Um, first of all, just to start, what's um, working within the pharmaceutical industry, what was your experience of sort of adapting to COVID-19 uh, in the varying changes in, in, in sort of um, production and regulations? Right, well, uh, you know, overall, Europe's supply chains uh, have remained pretty resilient to the volatile conditions of the past year. And actually, I think it's really testament to the incredible folk working in the pharmaceutical industry and at our production uh, facilities. But one of the biggest challenges that we face has been the growing reliance on less manufacturers in fewer areas of the world. So we have quite a concentration, for example, in Asia for some of the essential active pharmaceutical uh, ingredients. And this is the result really of a number of years of unsustainable procurement policies. So that leaves critical lines of supply open to exposure in situations like the current you know, global pandemic. Uh, and I'm worried that perhaps next time, if we were to have uh, such a, a black swan event, we won't be able to cope anywhere near as well. So it is a real call out uh, that it's and it's vital that we address economic and regulatory shortcomings to make sure that we can secure a better balanced geographical manufacturing and therefore a diverse supply footprint. So that will prevent the risk of shortages and delays in the manufacturing of crucial medicines, both when we're not in a pandemic and if we were to ever face such a situation uh, like this again. Yeah, of, of course. And we, we've seen a few pharmaceutical companies um, begin to plan operations within Europe for the production of, of APIs and in, ingredients. Um, I, I guess that was a result of, of seeing this constrained um, supply chain. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we did see uh, a few unfortunate examples last year. Uh, so the uh, restriction of export of, uh, of 26 pharmaceutical active ingredients uh, out of India for a short uh, a period of time. And we've seen stockpilings of, of, of countries, you know, trying to stockpile uh, certain medicines uh, as well. Uh, we saw you know, some decisions by the US government and we saw even saw governments within Europe uh, attempting to stockpile uh, as well. Uh, and so in short, really uh, it is important that we continue to support very diverse um, manufacturing base for medicine. So we're not over-reliant on, on any one area. And that is my concern with Europe. Not so much that we have to move everything back to Europe. I'm not suggesting that at all. Mm -hmm. But we should try and make sure that Europe remains a big part of uh, the manufacturing supply chain for pharmaceuticals for Europe. And we don't become you know, completely reliant or over-reliant on, on fewer and fewer places and manufacturing sites in the world. Yeah, and it, just from a logistical sense, um, it, it, it makes sense that if we have a base in Europe, then they can be more easily transported. Um, but it's an interesting point you mentioned about the stockpiling of medicines, because in particular with COVID-19, and I know Teva has um, got a, a, a standing within sort of um, the fairer distribution of medicines as well. 
But for instance, the UK has procured over 400 million COVID-19 vaccines for a population of a little over 65 million. Uh, Do you think there needs to be better systems in place for times of crisis such as COVID-19 so countries come together for better distribution of, of, of vaccines and therapies? Yeah, so it's a great question. You know, one of the biggest challenges for access to medicines in the time of crisis is safeguarding supply chains from nationalism and protectionist policies, right? So border closures, uh, uh, overstockpiling and hoarding um, or onerous procedures for exportation of, uh, of medicines as well. Look, they endanger supply and ultimately it's patients uh, who will suffer. And we at Teva absolutely stand for and support open international trade and collaboration and encourage dialogue across the whole sector to maintain the supply of either active pharmaceutical ingredients uh, or finished dose medicines uh, and, of course, uh, vaccines. And, um, you know, unity on this topic is uh, is absolutely vital. Uh, and as I said, whilst European medicine supply chains have remained largely resilient over the past year, it is really, really important that governments take a step back and realise that collaboration is absolutely key for equitable access to medicines. Brilliant, thank you. And just on sort of the high cost medicines in areas such as, bio, such as biologics or you know gene therapies, um, one of the problem Europe has and, and the UK as, as well with its medicine procurement strategies is that certain medicines can be sort of outpriced for, for certain countries. Uh, how can the industry tackle this by working with governments um, to help patients gain access to some medicines which may not be available because of their price? Yeah, so firstly, I'd encourage governments, and in fact, all of us, uh, governments, payers, uh, all stakeholders in the uh, you know, that care about patients, to look sometimes a little bit beyond the sticker price, or certainly not look at the sticker price of medicines in isolation. So it is really important to look at the end-to-end value that medicines provide in minimizing the really, really expensive time uh, that patients might have to spend in hospitals, uh, ideally preventing hospitalization uh, altogether. Also, let's not ignore the wider positive economic and societal impact of medicines. So when you lower a patient's burden of disease, uh, you know, there's a huge increase in uh, productivity of people still being able to get to work as li- as well as living healthier uh, and happier lives um, as well. So we need to continue to work together on this to share trial and outcomes data uh, so that, uh, that payers are comfortable with this, but they need to take a much broader and objective view uh, than they do in many cases um, today. Look, of course, we also need to continue to make sure that we have a vibrant, biosimilar and generic industry because then that means at the end of exclusivity for uh, innovative medicines that biosimilars and generics are used and costs do come down and that of course frees up resources to be able to invest in the in the uh, new range of of new treatments of course and so really it's those two elements i think taken together that sh- that should and will incre- increase patient access to, to new treatments mm-hmm do you think the pattern system within the pharmaceutical industry, such as um, companies' exclusivity rights, poses a problems for the high price points that certain medicines do carry? Well, look, the importance of good patent system is that it means that 
companies can invest and have a pharmaceutical companies can invest and get a predictable return on the investment uh, that they make. You know, R&D costs uh, in our industry uh, are very, very high and risk of failure is also very, very high. Um, you know, in many cases, it'll be three or four projects out of 100 that are started that actually uh, come through as new medicines uh, that make it to market to be able to help uh, patients. So having that um, uh, predictable and stable uh, return on investment when you bring your medicine to market is important. And that's really the, you know, the role that the uh, uh, patent framework uh, uh, makes and supports. Of course, what we shouldn't see is, uh, is uh, extended length of patents or inappropriate uh, extension of patents that then uh, get in the way of generics and biosimilars uh, coming to the coming to the market when loss of exclusivity occurs as well but broadly uh, you know the the concept of the patent system to reward innovation and for companies to be able to recover the returns on the investment to be able to invest in more new medicines is a good one brilliant thank you and um- the um just back onto the strategy um a, a little bit it does speak a lot about the need for sustainable practices within the pharmaceutical industry do you think enough focus has been put on sustainability within pharma yeah uh, so look as with any manufacturing industry it's really essential that environmental sustainability forms a bedrock of corporate strategies uh, and how we build greener futures and reduce the impact uh, on our on our planet. Now, from a Teva perspective, we've just introduced our latest uh, sustainability targets. Um, we're going to focus on uh, climate action and, and resilience, uh, the responsible use of natural resources and tackling emissions uh, and waste. So over the next few years, we re- aim to reduce the uh, problematic greenhouse gases by more than 30%. We want to increase our uh, energy efficiency by 10% and reduce our total water use by 10%, particularly in those areas that are expected to be in water stress. I mean, this is on top of uh, having already reduced uh, greenhouse gases by um, 17%, our total waste by 13%, and our energy consumption by 6% uh, over the past couple of years. So uh, that's what we want to do at Teva, and you know, we see common uh, initiatives and targets across across all of the industry, which is which is absolutely right. You've been listening to the MedTalk podcast. Make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud, Spotify or iTunes. Thanks for listening.